0: I don't know what your week has held, but I know who's held your week. Amen? Amen. And he loves you, and he cares about you, and he knows what you're going through, and you're not here by accident. He loves you so much that he puts you into relationships and into proximity of people who know him and love him to encourage you and to draw you ever closer into relationship with him. But let me ask you this question this morning. What puts the scare into you? What puts the scare in you? What causes you fear? What causes you some anxiety? When I was in college, pursuing my ministry degree, Pat and I lived in this small little four-room house. You could get four of them in this room. I'm not kidding. It had a kitchen, had a living room, had a little bathroom off the living room. (laughs) If you left the door open, the toilet was like another chair in the living room, had a bedroom. Well, another college couple, Steve and Annie, were friends of ours and they would often come over and we'd play games and eat pizza on the weekends and around Halloween time I got a hold of some snapping pop noisemakers, you ever see these things, they come in a little box and you throw them at the ground or at the wall and they go pop, pop, right? Oh, I just, I just thought I had to have some of those because I was still a kid, and uh, and Steve and I were were leaving one night uh, to go over to his apartment. We're going to go get a game and bring it back to play, and so we went outside and Pat and Annie were were standing in the kitchen, and it was dark out. You know, it was already dark out, and so they couldn't see us outside the kitchen window. The kitchen was all lit up, but we could see them right, through the kitchen window. Well, I thought it would be funny to kind of startle them by throwing a whole bunch of these things at the window. And, uh, and so I did that and they jumped and we laughed and then we went on over to his apartment to get some games. About an hour later, we took forever. About an hour later, uh, we came back and the porch light was off and the whole house was completely dark. And I'm like, what, did they leave? What's going on? And, uh, And so I opened the front door and I stepped into the dark front room and I looked up and floating about 18 inches above the ground was this ghostly figure in a white wedding dress only lit by a dim light under the veil, (laughs) head hanging down in a crooked kind of position She seemed to be floating or hanging there like she was left at the altar in despair and hung herself in the doorway. It was the spookiest, eeriest sight I had ever seen, and I about jumped out of my skin in a panic, and I reached for the, the light switch, and, and it wouldn't work. <laughs> it just kind of freaked me out even more, and I suddenly realized that the ghostly figure under the veil was none other than my own bride, Pat, <laughs> in her wedding dress, and I was nearly hyperventilating, and I shouted, Pat, Pat, get down, get down from there, you're freaking me out. <laughs> Needless to say, Steve and Annie and Pat were all about laughed their heads off, which if they had done that, that would have been the scariest thing. Uh, But especially Pat, and she still looks back at that stunt as one of her all-time best gotchas. It'll teach me to throw my little snapping pops at the window. Well, this month, our sermon series is called Scary Stories, and God gives you victory over what puts the scare in you. Besides despairing, brag ghosts hanging in the door, uh, doorway, there are at least four things that put the scare in me that only really God can help overcome. One is when fear controls people's lives. Two, when hopelessness drives people to despair. Three, when sin sucks the life out of people. And four, when powerlessness leaves people stuck. It's fear and hopelessness and sin and powerlessness. Those are realities that keep people trapped in suffering and pain and despair and lifelessness and people need a new power in their lives to overcome these enemies so that they can experience confidence and hope and freedom and power. That new power comes through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. By the way, I want to thank Amira. Amira's here today. Uh, she, she did up our little card for us, the artwork, and came up with the tagline. I, I like that tagline so much, Amira, that we're putting it on the bulletin. So there you go. Uh, that power to overcome fear and hopelessness, sin and powerlessness, comes through Jesus Christ. So each week we're going to be addressing one of these scary stories, and today it's the monsters under the bed our fears. Did you know that fear and anxiety is the number one mental health issue in America? More than 18% of Americans suffer from above normal anxiety to the point that clinical treatment is called for. Uh, About 40% of those get any kind of treatment, okay? But that is more than a whopping 40 million Americans for whom fear is in control of their lives. Billy Graham was correct when he said that this is the age of anxiety. There are so many fears that people can have, it would be hard to list them all. Uh, They they have all kinds of new phobias coming out. Just pick a word out of the dictionary, put the word phobia at it, and there's a phobia for you. It's like dog phobia. I'm afraid of dogs. Of course, they would come up with something Latin. They include, like, the fear of loss like losing a loved one or a job or something important to you, the fear of rejection, the fear of intimacy, the fear of failure, even the fear of success is a thing. The fear of illness, the fear of aging, obviously the fear of death. Probably, though, the most pervasive fear is just this overall fear of the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) I don't know how it's all going to work out. And so we can get overwhelmed by this fear of the unknown. What's going to happen? How's it going to work out? Well, today I want to unpack a passage out of Philippians 4 that has really helped me with anxiety. God gave us this truth a long, long time ago. And since then, science has come into agreement with it. It kind of catches up. It takes a while for science to catch up with the Bible. But a lot of times it does, or eventually it does. So I'm really excited about the prescription for beating fear in your life that this passage has to teach us but before we dig into that i think we need to consider the fact that fear causes damage in your life it's not benign okay anxiety inflicts damage into your life and maybe of those around us when fear is controlling us it causes a lot of problems you know that there's three natural responses to fear fear responses when uh, and God designed these, by the way. God designed these fear responses. He designed our brains such that when you are faced with a, a, an anxiety or a fear-producing stimulus, you'll have one of basically two responses or maybe a third, okay? And the, the, the uh, two responses are fight or flight, right? And so, uh, so a car's coming at you and they seem to be speeding up and you're walking across the street and, uh, and immediately... You're, you when you notice your amygdala kicks into gear it shuts down parts of your brain it turns on parts of your body uh, causing extra blood flow to your legs and, and extra response it shuts down your digestive system <laughs> it shuts down a whole bunch of other systems that, that are usually going and just turns on the ones to protect yourself and you'll go into fight or flight hopefully if it's a car it's flight <laughs> Okay, it's like, come on, bring it up. No, it's like, it's like, you're not Popeye, you know. Uh, and, so, and so the fight or flight, another one is freeze, which is kind of like flight, but it's one where everything just shuts down and you can't even respond. And you're just frozen like deer in the headlights, right? You all know that feeling. And these responses are something that God put into us to protect us. But in this age of anxiety, they can really get out of balance. In fact, they can get out of balance in such a way that, that uh, we can have a fear response to everyday situations that can't really harm us, like meeting somebody new, going to an interview, speaking in public. Okay? That's not literally ever killed anybody. Okay? Uh, asking someone to a date. Okay, in fact, we may get so overwhelmed that our whole brain sort of shuts down and we just freeze. So fear and anxiety that takes over control can cause us a lot of problems in life. And the fear response of fight, for example, uh, can cause us to act with hostility toward people. It's actually, people think you're angry or or moody, or, or agitated, or irritated. It might be that you're anxious. It might be that you're afraid of something. And so then you argue and fight and attack others just simply because of how fear has taken over. Kind of reminds me of the Frankenstein's monster. You know, when the townspeople came out with their torches and pitchforks because they were afraid of the monster, though he hadn't really done anything to them. He was just different. Uh, And so that can create hostility. The flight response uh, can cause, when you you can get anxious or afraid of something, we might try to avoid it as much as possible, like trying something new or going on a trip or being in a social situation, applying for jobs, telling the truth, (laughs) or even just talking about anything that's not just surfacey. you know, like my vulnerabilities and my hopes. These flight responses can bring isolation, and loneliness and lost opportunities and a a kind of stuckness in our problems because instead of dealing with them, we just run away from them. And kind of similar to the flight response is the freeze response. When anxiety and fear have control, we can kind of just shut down, not respond at all. Freezing up has caused people to stay in abusive relationships because they were just too afraid to make a change. They're afraid that if they decide to do something different, things might actually get worse and they freeze up. So when fear has control, our lives are held back and we hurt ourselves and we cause hurt to others. Well, God didn't mean for us to live in constant fear, okay? But to overcome fear through the power in our lives. Look at Philippians four. 6, uh, well, actually, let me, let me rattle off a few verses, then we're going to go to Philippians 4. Okay, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything. God didn't intend for us to live in anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. Romans eight thirty one says, if our God is for us, who can be against us? And verse 37 says, no, and all these life-threatening things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A verse that really captures this truth is Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right? Rhetorical question. Uh, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The truth is, you can be transformed from an anxious person to a calm, controlled, and confident person through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 8 and discover this prescription that the Bible gives us for overcoming fear and anxiety. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. How often are you supposed to rejoice in the Lord? Always. <laughs> always. How, how much is always? always. Oh, it's like, wow, Paul, you in the absolutes. Okay, always, Paul, always. And then he has to repeat it. I will say it again, rejoice. You know, like, get the point. Verse five, uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So this passage has several instructions and a promise. The promise is what all anxiety-ridden people long for, the peace of God to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I want peace instead of anxiety and fear, okay? But to experience the reality of God's promise of peace, we only need to follow the instructions. And what are the instructions? To be in the Lord, it says rejoice in the Lord. To be gentle, to rejoice, uh, to bring all fear and anxiety to the Lord. And as you do, do it with a thankful heart to change what you think about, to think about certain things in certain ways. Now, if you look at all of these instructions from the 5,000 foot view, these things really boil down to about three basic changes that we need to make in our life to achieve peace. One is to change your motive. Two, change your method. Three, change your mind. There, that, that's a good three-point sermon. You can write that on the blank space. Motive, method, mind. Three, three changes. So first of all, we need to change our motive. Here's what I mean by this. What is your motive? Your motive might be to get rid of all these nasty anxieties and become calm, controlled, and confident. Okay? That is certainly possible through Christ. Okay? But you will need to start with a higher motive than just getting rid of anxiety. You need a higher motive than that. The higher motive must always be to glorify God, to glorify God in your heart, in your life. You want him to be the major focus, the major power, the major source for all of your life. Not fear, not anxieties, not all the threats of the world. Jesus, God, without him at the controls of your life, this is what you'll do. You will still be grabbing for the controls and living a life of fear and anxiety. Okay. So really, when you think about it, changing your motive means to change what you fear. Change what you fear. The apostles declared to the authorities, we must obey God, not men. In a fearless moment, we must obey God, not men. They said to the authorities, the ones who could throw them into prison. Instead of fearing the unknown or rejection or loss or intimacy or threats to their egos, the apostles only feared God. When you first and foremost have a healthy fear of God, you sort of forget about yourself and all these things that you're afraid of happening to you, and you only become concerned about what God thinks, what he can do, who he is, and whether or not he is being glorified in your life. Overcoming fear starts with fearing the right thing, God himself. When you fear God first, nothing else can shake you, okay? because nothing else even compares to God. Uh, Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So in beating anxiety, really you just change your motives to only fearing God. And if you really do fear God, this is what it means. It means that you not only believe he's real, you wouldn't be afraid of something that you're convinced isn't real. So not only do you believe he's real, but you shake at the thought of his overwhelming power and presence. God's awesomeness should make you a bit nervous and and (laughs) cause you to shake in your boots. Think of it like this. Have you ever gotten right up close to a full-grown elephant? How how many have, by the way? A a, a couple of you have, okay. And so you get up close to a full-grown elephant and it makes you a little nervous. this thing is so big and it moves (laughs) and you know that if it wanted to it could turn you into a pancake right well likewise knowing God's raw power gives you an awesome respect for him but what if you learned that the elephant knew you right and loved you nice elephant and would do anything to protect you You would still be in awe of its power, but you would also have a lot of comfort and confidence because if anyone messes with you, well, you have an elephant that will turn them into a pancake, right? So now the fear of God is giving you confidence over everything else. When you fear God, you abandon sin and selfishness through repentance. When you fear God, you throw yourself on his mercy. And when you fear God, you then place yourself in his care so that the fear of God brings his protection. Does that make sense? God is much bigger, more powerful, more intelligent, more wise, and and he is omniscient, more so than any elephant. And also, unlike an elephant that never forgets, God can choose to forget your sins when you repent and ask for forgiveness. Okay, Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God puts it out of his mind. He can forget them. No elephant can do that for you. In changing your motives and changing your motivation, you need to truly and honestly accept that Jesus is greater than anything you could fear. He's greater than any threats He's greater than any dangers, any potential catastrophes that you can imagine. His love and acceptance is greater than any rejection that you could go through. His faithfulness is greater than the unknowns of the future. His sufficiency is greater than any loss you could suffer. Not only is he greater than anything we can fear, he's also our source for hope and salvation and heaven and purpose, and destiny, and the most powerful being in the world is now your friend, and he's for you, not against you. It all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Make the inner driving motive at the core of your being to live for God, to please him, to glorify him, to accept from him his adoption of you as his child. He loves you. He's for you. And he wants you under the wings of his protection. Psalm 17, 8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now, once you've made God the number one thing in your life, that's the change of your motive, you have the ability to make the other two changes, your method and your mind. So let's talk about changing your method. What's our usual method? What's our usual method for dealing with fear and anxiety? When, when, when something is making us nervous or fearful or anxious, what do we normally do? Well, we might panic, okay? We might obsess about it, can't stop thinking about it. We might play all the worst-case scenarios in our mind over and over again. That's called rumination. We might try to fight people and push them to respond the way we want because we're afraid of what will happen if they don't. Excuse me. We might try to manipulate circumstances so that we can have a greater sense of control. I, I've known men who were so afraid that their wives would leave them that they would push them and push them and push them to give them affection, to give them some kind of words of of affirmation, and and it got so annoying and irritation irritating that the wife thought. This man, all he thinks about is himself. He was just afraid. He was afraid. And he ended up pushing his wife away out of fear. Like we said before, fear causes us to do all kinds of unhelpful and even damaging things. But it all boils down to a grasping for control. Okay? When our kids were learning to drive, they couldn't have mom in the passenger seat coaching them. Hi, honey, I love you. Didn't tell you about this illustration, but it's not unfamiliar to you. Well, why not? Um, She'd get too nervous, and instead of using verbal instructions, she would just kind of gasp and shout, maybe try to grab for the steering wheel, okay? Have you ever driven with a passenger who stomps on the floor like they're trying to hit a brake that isn't there? (laughs) That was mom. I had to ride with dad. And that's our normal reaction to things that make us anxious or afraid. But Paul says, change your method. What is the method that the Bible is here instructing us to use? Look at Philippians 4 again. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It's saying to rejoice and rejoice again and then rejoice some more. Somehow we need to shift our anxious soul into a joyful soul. We need to replace anxiety with joy. We need to trade in our worries for confident rejoicing in God. When I'm worried about keeping my job or getting a job or the loan coming through or my marriage staying together or my child making the right choices or my health getting better, what in the world do I have to rejoice about? There are so many things to worry about it seems illegitimate and irresponsible to go into rejoicing mode. Well, think of it this way. When you fear God, first and foremost, you have every reason to rejoice because this big, amazingly powerful God is on your side. He is for you, not against you. He sees your life and the things that you're anxious about, and He has a good plan in mind that He is working behind the scenes that you know nothing about. When you know, these things, that God is big, he's for you, and he's got something in mind, he's going to it, he's at work, and when you know these things at the core of your being, then you can legitimately and responsibly rejoice in a God that is in control. God is in control, and that is a thing worth rejoicing about. Well, how do I make that shift? How do I go about changing from anxiety to joy? Again, Philippians gives us an answer. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, uh, present your request to God. So, knowing that God is in control, now you can confidently bring your requests about things that you that cause you anxiety to God in prayer and petition with a heart that is thankful, not anxious. Instead of playing the worries over and over again in your mind, you change, to, you change your method to praying and asking God for help, and you do it with an attitude of rejoicing and thanksgiving because you know that He can handle all these. He can handle them better than you can, and, and, and He can make everything work out for your good and His glory. The change of method is the change from anxiety grabbing for control, anxiously grabbing for control to joyfully and thankfully releasing control to God. That's the change. That's the method. No longer anxiously grab for control, I joyfully and thankfully release control to God. I do what I can do, but I leave the outcomes to God. And making the shift is as simple as making a choice. I choose I choose not to be anxious about this and I'm just going to trust that God knows what he's doing. And more than just trust, I choose to actually be joyful and thankful and excited to see how he's going to work out the long game in my marriage and with my kids, with my health, my job, my finances, everything that I'm anxious about. Even when it looks bad, I know God is in control. I'll just do what I can do, including the praying and the petitioning, and then I'll just release control of the outcomes. The promise that comes from applying this change of motive and change of method is Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the desire of every anxious and fearful heart, to have peace. When you follow God's way, you get to have God's peace. It may not make sense to those around you looking at your circumstances from the outside in, but it is a genuine peace that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. One more change, and that's the change of your mind. This really helps to cinch these changes, to secure them. The third change this passage instructs us to is to change our minds, which means to change how we think and what we think about. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Apostle Paul instructs us to be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Romans 12. There are many Psalms and Proverbs that address how we think and what we should be thinking about. As it so happens, Philippians 4 passage that we're looking at instructs us on how to focus our minds so that we can have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Look at verse 8 again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about such things. Okay, right away we notice Paul keeps repeating the word whatever. We thought middle school girls came up with that, right? <laughs> No, apparently it was the Apostle Paul. He said, whatever. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, and so on. And he's telling us, don't just think about whatever your mind wants to think about. Don't let your mind dwell on just whatever it comes whatever comes to it. Okay, anything can come to mind, right? Anything can go through your mind. Your own thoughts, your own memories. Uh, Satan can plant thoughts in your mind somehow, you know, like whispering in your ear. Uh, Martin Luther said, we cannot stop the birds from flying over our head, right? They're going to do that. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. (laughs) It's like people in the 15th century had a sense of humor. Who would have thought? And so true. So he's saying, no, you focus your mind on certain kinds of things. You can think about whatever. Just make sure it is whatever is pure and lovely and admirable. This is what I would call power thoughts. These are power thoughts in your life. Uh, Our natural fallen sinful tendency is to have worry thoughts. Okay, our fallenness. Adam bit the apple and that caused us to have worry thoughts. There's a connection. And our sinful tendency is to have worry thoughts that are negative and damaging. There are things like we, we try to have mind reading thoughts. Well, he thinks I'm dumb. Or catastrophizing thoughts like, I'm going to end up homeless. Or personalizing thoughts like, oh, their laughter's all about me. You know? You guys quit laughing at me back there. <laughs> we could have all or nothing thoughts Well, that one negative thing happened and so the whole day was bad. You know? I misquoted the scripture. The whole sermon sucked. Our thinking patterns will drive negative emotions. How you think what you think about will drive negative emotions like fear and anxiety and a whole host of others. The more we think negative, hopeless, fearful thoughts, the more we will struggle with fear, anxiety, depression, anger, and all the rest. And celebrate recovery, what do we call it? Stinking. Stinking thinking. That's right. Stinking thinking will keep you stuck in life. So the Bible and its wonderful wisdom gives us a real key to changing your emotional experience and even changing our whole lives. Simply change how we think and what we think about. Trade in your worry thoughts and take on power thoughts. Think about your thoughts for a moment. How often do your thoughts key in on what is true instead of just what you assume to be true? How often do you think about what's true not just assumptions? How often do your thoughts focus on what is noble instead of just the usual dog-eat-dog style of the world? What about concentrating on what is right rather than just what is expedient or useful? Instead of allowing your mind to go into what is unwholesome, transfer your thoughts to the power thoughts of things that are good and pure. Instead of dwelling on the trashy, think about what is lovely. Instead of fixating on what is self-serving and advantageous, why not dwell on what is admirable? And why not just praise what is excellent rather than cursing everything that is wrong? By changing your thoughts, you can change your emotions. By changing your emotions you can change your life. Life in Christ affects your motive. Instead of, leaving, uh, instead of fearing everything else, you now fear God alone. Life in Christ affects your method. Instead of grabbing for the steering wheel of control, you relinquish control to God through prayer and thanksgiving. Life in Christ affects your mind. Instead of allowing worry thoughts to fill your head, you choose to think power thoughts. Through Christ, you can become a calm, collected, controlled, confident person. But it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 John 4 18 says, There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You need to know that the one who knows you best loves you the most. The one who made you, the one who created you, the one who, who uh, created your personality and, and uh, your, even your interests and stuff. He loves you. He loves you the most of anybody. He loves you more than your mom. That's pretty major, okay? <laughs> he loves you and that love drives out fear. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to entrust yourself to him and, and make him your, your savior and your Lord. Romans 8, 14, and 15 says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. He wants you to be his child. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you fear, live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership, okay? And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is that that Arabic word that, is it Arabic? Yes, it means daddy. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. When you are a child of God, you no longer need to live in fear. The Spirit of God within you gives you protection and power and strength to be free from the fear of death, free from the fear of hell, free from the fear of the unknown. How do you become a child of God? Well, John 1, 12 through 13 says, to all who, re- who did receive him, Jesus, okay, that's the hymn, to those who believed in Jesus' name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor a human decision or a husband's will but born of God. Becoming God's true child is as simple as receiving him and putting your faith and your trust into him. It's being remorseful for your sins and intentionally turning away from sin as God's power helps you. In Acts 2.38 Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, repent, be baptized, which is identifying with God as a child of his, as part of his family, and you will receive the gift of that Holy Spirit that makes you a child of God. When we repent, we're forgiven. When we receive the Spirit of God in our lives, setting us free from slavery to sin, fear, and death, we're his child. Will you pray to receive Christ today? to confess your sin to him, to ask for his forgiveness, to receive him into your heart. I stuck a decision card in every pocket of the, of the room except for the back row. Would you take that and look at that for a second? Hopefully you won't use these to doodle or draw pictures or take notes on because uh, I want to keep these in here for a long time. And on the back it says, you can receive Christ in your heart and life right now by faith through prayer. God knows your heart and is not concerned with your words, not as concerned with your words as he is with the attitude of your heart. The following is a suggested prayer. Lord Jesus, so let's let's bow right now. And if you're ready to receive Christ as your personal Savior and Lord into your heart right now, then you pray this in your heart, okay? And I'll lead you right now. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, on the other side, this is a communication card where you're communicating with, with Pastor Liz and myself. Okay? There are several things you can choose. I don't know if you've been looking at that. But the top one is, I'd like to attend a class and learn more about who Jesus Christ really is and the Christian faith is all about. As it just so happens, there's a really awesome one starting on Wednesday nights going through the book of Mark seeing who Jesus is. It just tells it all about it. Um, and there's a bunch of other growth groups that are hitting similar topic. Uh, But in the red letters, if you pray this prayer, perhaps for the first time, and you're receiving Christ, you're making a decision today, I'm I'm gonna follow Christ, then would you mark the red one? Today, for the first time, I'm asking Jesus Christ to forgive my sins, come into my heart, be my Lord. I wanna be a true follower of Christ, allowing him to save me, heal me, direct my life, fill me with his life. Today, I commit myself to an ongoing living relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanted to put all of that, pack all that in there so you know what you're checking off, okay? Or it may be that you're renewing a relationship with Christ. That would be the third one. If you would like to be baptized, that's the fourth one. If you would like to start meeting with a mentor to get discipled and and, and solidly establish your walk in Christ, uh, that would be the next one. And then the last one, If you feel like God's calling you into some kind of full-time vocational Christian ministry and you'd like to talk to one of us, you can mark that one. Put your name, phone number, email, place this in the basket at the end of the service or in the joy box, or third option, hand it to me or hand it to Liz. So there's four options, basket, box, Scott, Liz, okay? Not necessarily in that order. All right.